Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, it was 20 to 12, those Ohio State Buckeyes over the Nittany Lions on Saturday. And a lot of gnashing of teeth in these last couple days. But we need you to tell us exactly what happened. I know what all us fans are saying. I need to know the real inside scoop, the nitty-gritty, what actually happened out there. That's why we bring you in, my friend. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm okay. You know, um, the, the gnashing of teeth, I would call it a straight flamethrower the last uh, two or three days and stepping in front of the flamethrower in a post game show. And then on Monday, people are not happy. You're absolutely right. And, and as far as telling you what happened in the game, I can absolutely tell you the plays that were called. But I think a big story this week is the plays that weren't called and and the identity of the Nittany Lions James Franklin talked about not getting away from who you are in big games and then they didn't run the ball in short yardage a whole lot in third and three or less they ran the ball once and threw the ball three times we didn't see JB Nelson and just so we're all aware and you know I I don't want to I don't want to pull back the curtain too much but we record this before James Franklin's press conference on Tuesday so some of that information is going to come out before this show is available I I would imagine somebody's going to ask about JB Nelson Um, we didn't see the T formation. So Penn State's identity in this game to me of what did you want to be? Why did you want to be that? And what happened to what you were before? It is a large mystery. And I've tried to come up with reasons this weekend Uh, in my film rooms. I've, I've purported multiple theories and then kind of debunked those going through the, the film of like, maybe they didn't have three tight ends. Khalil Dinkins played on special teams. And, you know, I said at first, like, yeah, well, there were no kick returns. And then the more I watch the special team film, which I don't do normally, he re- he was part of a kickoff return. So, like, why didn't they go into the T formation? What happened? There's a lot of that stuff that we can't answer today. But when it comes to what they did do, we'll break it all down for you today. Okay. I do want to get to that, uh, the play calling, the lack of the T formation, the lack of the tush push, or as our friend mm-hmm. Steve from Columbia calls it, the nitney nudge. So, uh, whatever you call it, we didn't see it. But let's start with Drew Aller, where so much of the conversation has been going on. He was 18 of 42, not very good. His road woes Mm. continue. The other games were Penn State 1, Illinois, Northwestern. It was still not pretty for for Drew in those games. So as just a fan watching without any expertise, it didn't look like his mechanics were right. It seemed like he was thrown off the back foot. It seemed like he hurried some of his throws before the receivers had an opportunity to make their break. At bottom line, T. Frank, he, he looked flustered. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, he looked flustered in the game. And and so, like, let's just go through those points, I guess, because all of them are a part of the effect of the quarterback. All of them are not the quarterback himself. So. You say he's rushing his throws and hitting receivers in the back of the head. That's because he's got free runners barreling down the middle of the pocket on him. And that happened because Ohio State did some really good things on third down specifically where they added rushers late, attacked the process of Penn State's checks and play calls, and then uh, 
executed and, and got free rushers into the face of the quarterback so he couldn't stand in the pocket and deliver the football. And they could do that because he's not a rushing threat to bail from the pocket too very, too often. But even out of the gate, I think that this is an area where on the road, it's absolutely fair to say now that Drew Aller plays with game pressure when you snap the football on 15 minutes to go in the first quarter. The first third down, he is throwing a rocket pass for a four-yard completion that bounces off Theo Johnson's hands. Theo Johnson needs to catch it, but the ball doesn't need to come out like a rocket. And then um, pocket presence, seeing and feeling pressure when it's not there was an issue for Aller, even when he wasn't getting hit in the face. But he was getting hit in the face, and that happens to every quarterback a certain amount of time. If you get pressure up the middle enough times, it takes a it takes an exceptional veteran or a guy with just the absolute cojones to say, I don't really care if you hit me. My job is to stand here and throw the football. Uh, he didn't have enough time to do that in third down specifically. But then when you look at some of the other plays, he did have time, but he never really got to the second progression. He never got to the backside of his reads, which in my assessment of this game coming in, I expected Drew Aller to rise to the occasion. I've seen him do it in the past. I've seen him play calm and poised and find his backside progression and read the full field. It didn't really happen on Saturday. Part of that, again, comes down to the pressure, but part of that comes down to he was a bit of a deer in the headlights. And I think that's a big concern because it's not just that he's a, a young quarterback. James Franklin talked about his poise, talked about how that he was different in this sense, and he has not been different. He has not been a difference maker in that situation on the road specifically. And I think that that's something that until it changes, like I thought this was going to be the game where you pull, you pull the restrictor plate off and he plays full throttle. And it was the opposite of that. So how do you improve that? Is there anything else other than just, he's got to go through it. He's got to experience it more to get better at it. T Frank. I mean, we're talking about the basis of what makes a great quarterback at this point. And, and that is, part of the mystery of football. And I, I, you know, initially I thought he was that guy. I thought he could be that guy this year, but if you treat, I, I don't want, I, cause I don't know. We don't know what we don't know about practice and what's being taught and how the atmosphere around the quarterback is, uh, is, is, uh, developed, right? So we don't know how they're developing him as a quarterback. What I can tell you and this is something that I talked about on our Monday show on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel was I went in because I'm seeing a, they, they are attacking very specific parts of the field intentionally. Is that the quarterback or is that the play call? But the result is either way of Drew Aller's targeted dropbacks. Um, that is, you know, all the dropbacks where he has taken the ball and it's a pass play. Uh, 11% of those have resulted in a pass over the middle of the field more than 10 yards down the field. So attacking in an aggressive fashion over the middle. Uh, for comparison, you've got 20% with uh, Kyle McCord and 25% for J.J. McCarthy this year and 17%, 17.5%, a lot of numbers here, but you know, almost double with Sean Clifford last year. So they are attacking the middle of the field less than they did last year and significantly less than their comparable uh, quarterback comparisons. So you're 
the, the field is limited. And if the field is limited, good teams like Ohio State know where to deploy their resources and know how to deploy their resources to take away what you want to do, leaving you with a limited passing attack. And that's what we saw. Like, bottom line, we saw a limited passing attack that did limited things to press the defense on Saturday. T. Frank, this is the part that frustrates me is it sounds like Ohio State's defense, they coach that defense against what Penn State's been doing, and they were very successful at it. We hear, and I keep going back to a year ago, what Michigan did to Penn State, and you pointed out they did everything away from their tendencies against Penn State. So whatever Penn State Mm -hmm. expected, they did something different. I believe a lot of us folks watching this Penn State team thought we'd see that expansion of the offense against Ohio State. They didn't need to do all those things. They didn't need to throw it over the middle a lot in in beating their first six opponents. But they did need to do these things against Ohio State. Why not? What happened? Uh, Take what the defense gives you is the mantra of Drew Aller and, and how they're operating this offense. So Ohio State runs a complex coverage scheme. They threw a lot of different stuff at Drew. And to give him credit, he did not take the bait and throw into the coverages to give the ball to the other team. Like, that's the baseline of what we've talked about all year with Drew Aller. But this required a little bit more. This game required more than be safe with the football. You've got to make some plays. Um, And they, to be fair, Ohio State parks a safety in the middle of the field in their coverages for the most part, either with a free hole defender preventing you from getting down the middle of the field or straight up playing cover one and cover three, which prevents you from throwing over the middle. But typically what teams will do is they'll they'll try to move that safety with routes and then open things up over the middle. So just in a general sense, Penn State avoided the middle of the field because that's what Ohio State was designing to take away. And Ohio State knew that. And so when Penn State attacked the edges, they bite at the edge of the field. They're hedging their off man coverage towards the outside. They're anticipating the outbreaking routes and they're taking those away so that the receivers weren't getting open, but the receivers were not in a position to get open based on the anticipation of the defense. Now, Penn State tried to do some things in man coverage beaters against off coverage and and the routes were not explosive. The routes did not create that separation and Ohio State held a good bit. It wasn't called in the game. Oh, but Penn State, oh, by the way, I'm going to be getting into the film. Like, I'm sure they they were pretty grabby, too. So it was just a bad day for the uh, Penn State receivers who don't do well against press coverage and against physical contact throughout the route. It wasn't a day where the refs were calling that other than on Marvin Harrison Jr. So that's what you get. Like, you'd get a lot of not open receivers. And that led to what we saw. You know, it's, it's there's so many things. We're trying to get to it in 12 minutes. There's just like, I spent 35 minutes on just third down. I spent another 30 minutes in my film rooms on the passing game specifically. So we could go hours and hours and on all the little nitty gritty details. But when it comes down to it, Ohio State knew what Penn State was going to run. And Penn State ran the routes into the coverage that led to a lot of not open football players. And T. Frank, based on what you just said to me, the conclusion I come to is, Ohio State's coaching staff outcoached Penn State's coaching staff. Oh yeah, okay. I like that. Uh, I I yes and yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's I I'm I'm struggling with this is this is the thing is like I'm not a 
coach. I'm not. And people have asked me like on Twitter, like, Hey, you want to be the, the offensive coordinator? It's like, I would do a terrible job. I don't set up game plans. I can only break them down. So I'm giving you the information. This is what I've said all week. If you want to say those things, absolutely. I'll give you the ammunition to make an articulate point, but I'm not going to, uh, you know, uh, accuse anybody of being a bad coach or not knowing what they're doing or being incompetent. And I guess this is what I'm trying to push back. up. I'm nervous about this because it's been fire Franklin, fire Mike Yersich since Saturday afternoon. And like, I don't want to sit here and say, and, and basically like tacitly support those things. Cause that's what it's going to get construed as. But the information that you want, as far as if you want to say those things, is absolutely there for you if you want to say those things. And these are the these are the conversation points around that. I will say it then. Now, I'm not one of those fry, fire Franklin. And yes, T. Frank, I've seen a thousand of those articles. I've seen a thousand of those yeah. comments on message boards. That's not what I want. However, we saw Drew Aller own up. He owned his poor performance. I, I think the coaching staff needs to do the same thing. We'll talk more about this when we come back for quarter number two. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're breaking down the Penn State-Ohio State game. And T. Frank, when we started quarter number one, you made the statement it wasn't just what Penn State was calling. It's what they didn't do, what they didn't call. Yeah. And I want to get into that a little bit with you. You brought up the third and one situation, which they had a couple times. And I'll even go specifically the one, the early in the game, third and one, and they threw the ball. And mm-hmm. it looked like they were lining up to go for it on fourth down, burn a timeout come back and punt, Yeah, they thought better of it. I really don't understand that at all. If So, yeah. 
if you're thinking about going for it on fourth down, do you not run the ball on third down? Give yourself the, you know, the two tries to get one yard, which you got to think you could do within two downs, number one. And I guess the other part to it is if you're throwing the ball on third and one, did the coaches see something? Did they see something in uh, Ohio State's defensive formation that said, aha, we could successfully pass the ball here? Yes. So that was a cover zero situation in third and one. They get a cover zero, an aggressive, no player deep defending against a broken play or a big play. So in those situations, we've seen Penn State check to passes because if you get a rub route, a legal pick play, you can get a touchdown. And they had a touchdown. They absolutely had it. Now, some things happened differently than they were expecting based on the motion of Theo Johnson. Again, I cover this in my film room on Sunday. We broke down all of the third down plays and what happened in those situations. Uh, but basically, well, basically what it boils down to is they Ohio State broke a tendency for a formation-specific reason that allowed uh, Proctor, 41, the safety, to be in the passing lane. So, you know, from that perspective, Penn State had a good play. That was what they were looking for. Um, but Ohio State adjusted in the moment to take it away by having somebody in the passing lane. Does Drew Aller need to see that and throw around that guy? It's easier to throw around an unblocked defender when he's coming around the C gap, the outside the tackle. When it's in between, you know, in between the B gap, between the tackle and the guard, you've just got so many more bodies and you're targeting over the middle of the football field. So he's got to get the ball out now. So it's, that was another one of those schematic adjustments by Ohio State in a high leverage situation to throw something at Penn State they weren't expecting because they broke a tendency within the game. And I broke down the exact reasons why uh, earlier this week. And it just it comes down to a situation where that was a good play until it wasn't the fourth down. And again, I was not at the game, but and we didn't see on TV uh, it, the whole before the timeout. But I don't think it was that they wanted to rethink it. They didn't have enough players on the football field. So there's 15 seconds left on the play clock. They call a timeout and they don't have a fifth eligible player. They're bringing in Drew Shelton, 66. He's in the backfield. Is he? I'm assuming he's going to be a tackle eligible in that situation, which means they're considering going into the T formation, except Katron Allen isn't out on the football field. So I can't say with certainty that they were going to the T formation there, but I know based on context clues, you're bringing in an extra offensive lineman and you don't have a fifth eligible player. There's a miscommunication because they're doing something that we haven't seen them do this year, which is go with that six offensive lineman. Somebody wasn't on the field that was supposed to be is, is the, the bottom line, whether it's a tight end or it's a running back. Um, so that's why that fourth down happened. And then you burn a timeout. You've shown your hand, by the way, because you're bringing out that six offensive lineman. So the element of surprise is gone. You're playing a defensive battle. James Franklin elects to punt. That is less of a, the, the coaching staff was embarrassed and it was the details from the players and the position coaches and whomever's supposed to get everybody on the football field failed in that, uh, in that particular situation. So it's, once again, the little details, those little things that add up to the loss for Penn State. And T. Frank, and I know it's you analyze the game, you analyze what happened, you feed us the information, let us form mm -hmm. our own conclusions. Let me repeat what I heard you say. Ohio State, by on their defense on the third down, third and one, 
made an adjustment away from their tendencies, even from in the game. So the coaching staff did something different that thwarted Penn State's offense. Penn State now, for their fourth down, you can say, oh, the player didn't get on the field, and you could put it on the player. But if a team isn't ready and has 10 men on the field, you also have to point at the coaching staff. Now, I am not one of those. I'm not looking for anybody's scalp here. I'm not looking for them to fire Mike Yursich or James Franklin or anyone else. They've done too many good things. But based on what you presented to me in that scenario, once again, you had Ohio State making a coaching change that affected the game positively for Ohio State, and Penn State made a mistake that affected them negatively. So I'm going to make my conclusions, not ask you to. I'll make that conclusion. (laughs) The coaching staff beat the Penn State coaching staff on both third and fourth down in that situation. All right, let's move. Yeah, let's move on. To- and I would agree. I would agree. I don't. I don't want to seem like a. a, a I don't want to seem like I'm wishy washy. I would. I. I think that that's a fair assessment of the situation. I would tend to say that's the that's the correct answer as well. Okay, I like being correct, T. Frank. Let's let's move. <laughs> on. I'm going to try to be correct a couple more times here. In 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 football, whether it's college football, NFL, or anywhere. Sometimes one team is just so much better than the other. I don't think there's anything Delaware could have done or UMass could have done to beat beat Penn State. That's a given. But now with Ohio State, Penn State, I think one of the differences this year is Penn State's talent level is on a, if not equal, very close basis. They're in the same league now. And I was... uh, it was described to me, and you've said some of it, the Ohio State defense is doing certain things. Maybe they're beating Penn State's offensive line. But there are always things you can do when you're on equal footing for a team to counteract what they are doing. As you said, they mm-hmm. said, oh, we don't have to cover the middle of the field because Penn State doesn't go there. We're putting extra people in the box. We want to stop the running game. Are there not things to counter that and did Penn State attempt to do those things? Uh, it, so <laughs> it's it's hard to say because they kind of gave up on the running game in the third quarter. They also went three and out for most of the third quarter. So they didn't have enough plays to see what the adjustments were uh, after halftime. So let me describe the the problem they were working with. And I, I want to make sure I get his name correct because I butchered it earlier this week. Ty Hamilton, number 58. I've been calling him number 58 just because it's like on film, he he pops off the film. Six foot three, 295, super long arms. He's a future NFL defensive tackle. He's a, he's a one technique in the NFL. They, and I think Penn State without J.B. Nelson and that whole situation, understanding what happened there is important because it's not that Vega Yuane is a bad player. It's that he is a young player and he does not have the specific skills in my opinion to effectively affect uh the the defensive tackle position the same way jb is explosive he is their most powerful nasty blocker who you might get some big time blocks out of he might make some big time mistakes he is still you know gonna make some mistakes he's a young player as well in terms of time on task so they did not have that what they tried to do is they tried to attack um the 
Ohio State, kind of the middle of the defense, using pulling players and uh, attacking specific gaps and bubbles in the defensive line for Ohio State. It happened and it worked early. And then Ohio State adjusted, shut it down, and then Penn State wasn't able to come back to it except for maybe once in the in the second half. So did they try to attack the the, the area where you should? Yes, they did. But Ty Hamilton beat up on Hunter Norzad most of the game. Like that was a deciding advantage for Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State had an extreme advantage up front, but they had one very specific advantage that kind of ruined Penn State's rushing game uh, in some of the things they were trying to do. Penn State came out with some good wrinkles and some good concepts early. Once Ohio State adjusted, and this is again in the run game, it, uh, it, it, it kind of neutralized what Penn State was trying to do. Are there a, a million and one things that Penn State could have done that they didn't do? Yes. Like there are things that we can nitpick and we could say like, why didn't they run X or Y scheme? I think those are fair conversations to have, but they also didn't get a chance to run the ball because they didn't have enough plays in the second half. And that comes again down to the third down situations, third down conversions, where I think Ohio State had a great plan and Penn State did not seemingly have their fastball up front where they were trying to control the, the clock, trying to move players off the line of scrimmage and and continue drives. I guess that's what I'm saying of when we start off with what didn't they have? We saw a very different Penn State football team in high leverage situations than we have previously. The reasons for that we need to understand from the information we never get, right, of injury and all of those things. So I just I think that from adjustments and, and what you would want to do, if your base plays aren't working, you can only throw so many receiver double passes. And then you're kind of in a desperate situation and a good bit of Penn State's base offense is based off of running the ball. And they weren't able to do that on Saturday. Oh, for 15, oh, for their first 15 third down situation speaks for itself, T Frank. And you brought up the, the double pass. It's when you go into your bag of tricks, Mm -hmm. do you bring up a play you've run multiple times before? And especially do you do it multiple times in this game? when it was obvious on the first time you called that Ohio State was totally prepared for it. It's not even that they were prepared for it, Jim. It's that the style of defense they were playing was not... So it was aggressive in that they were not bailing into deep coverage. They were not afraid of Penn State throwing the ball down the field. But they were sitting on everything. It wasn't that they were attacking downhill and hyper-aggressive, trying to stop the run, playing into the flat. They were just sitting on every route. So there was a wait and then attack instead of an attack and then attack. You know, the, can, is, did, does that make a sense in terms of the difference between the two? Because that's really the function of these plays is we're going to show you a screen or we're going to show you some action in the backfield expecting you to blitz downhill from your off coverage because you're reading run. Ohio State never bought it because part of their game plan was sit at seven yards and wait for them to make a break and then then attack. So from that perspective, you're at, you're asking for aggressiveness from the defense that you just never got. And then you tried it uh, multiple times. Like that was, I think from, from a philosophical perspective, I guess that's what I would see of what they were trying to get and what they didn't get. And I hate to keep coming back to it, T Frank, because you're stating the facts. Here's what you saw. Here's what I heard. Ohio state was playing defense in a style that said, no, you're not going to fool them by running this double pass. And that you saw it. But Penn State's coaching staff said, well, it didn't work the first time. Let's try it again. And that didn't work out so well. We all could see that. All right, T. Frank, yeah. we're going to go from my questions 
to all of our listener questions. Stay tuned for that. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. You know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. We take your questions. T. Frank gives you the perfect answer. And at the end, he'll pick out the best question. Whoever sent it to us, they'll be the winner of the 409 Tailgate Club prize package. All right, T. Frank, are you ready for this? No. No, I am not. And I don't <laughs> believe I'm going to give you the perfect answers this week. <laughs> I have been. I feel like I've been consistently failing at giving you the, the right answer. Or maybe it's the answer you want to hear this week. So uh, hopefully I give you at least good substance, even if it's not the right answer. All right. Well, let's let's start with Matt from Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, who probably speaks for many, many Penn State fans. Guys, I need talked off the ledge. <laughs> I like I like your sitch, and I'm not talking about getting rid of him. But didn't Franklin fire an offensive coordinator after 2020 because he wasn't taking shots downfield? What's the issue this year with no explosive plays? I want to say let's throw a challenge to our wide receivers and get someone in there who could play. The issue is who would that be? I tied all in the uh, – I didn't get to it yet, but do we need to see passes down the field, T. Frank? Even if they're not completed, they'll open up something else. Uh, Yes. I would say that the answer to this is yes. And there's this might be a little bit longer answer, but this is something I've been thinking about and talking about all year long is what's the nature of the quarterback's role in the personality of the offense? And I was expecting in a big game situation, Drew Aller to rise to the occasion, to get to the backside of his read, to make the defense wrong, finding the thing they're giving him or finding the right matchup. He didn't have a lot of time to get to the backside of his progressions against Ohio State. 
but he didn't ever really get there with his eyes either. There was a lot of staring down his first read. I want to give him credit because sometimes that means cover one and run. You look at your first read, it's not there. I'm just going to take what the the available yardage, but he's not an athletic quarterback where, and this is something I'm going to look into is like, Against cover one, how many rushing yards does he have versus Sean Clifford, right? And then if you're not getting the passing yards against cover one and you're not getting the rushing yards against cover one, something does have to change, whether that's the quarterback is more aggressive, he runs over steel chamber, whatever it is, like something has to change in the productivity against that particular defense because that now the book is written off coverage, take away the easy access throws, and then Penn State kind of melts down unless they evolve. And I still think it's within Drew Aller to evolve if he's allowed from a mental perspective to let go a little bit because protect the football, uh, calculated risks, everything he said, take what the defense gives you. Sometimes the defense is taking things away specifically and giving you things specifically because that's what they want from you. So you're being led to slaughter. And that's kind of what we saw again in the Penn State offense against Ohio State. They didn't challenge the areas that Ohio State was taking away, and therefore they didn't get any of those big plays that caused the defense to go, oh no, our plan isn't working. So the, the nature of this is, I think, concerning to me of how is the quarterback being, I don't want to say how is the quarterback being developed, but what is he allowed to do? What is he being asked to do? And how is he operating within that framework? And right now it's limited. You've got a five-star passer who does not have the running skills and you don't have the read option game to give your offense multi-dimensional threats. So it becomes very binary. And if he's not allowed or he is not comfortable throwing the ball over the middle of the field or throwing it into tighter windows or trying to make decisions that might get the ball in jeopardy, but he's got the talent to overcome those things, like we're, we're just not seeing any of that stuff. He's being ultra by the book. And I guess I don't know like how much, what's the percentage that you're allowed to have him be, get the latitude to break the rules because he's not breaking any of the rules and the team, the defense is now using the rules against him. So I, I, Matt, I don't, I want to talk you off the ledge, but right now what we've seen from this offense is what I'm coming back to is limited. It's just a limited offense because of some of what seemed to be invisible guardrails around the passing game. And I don't know, again, I just don't know if that is the coaching staffs, you know, beating it into Drew Aller not to throw the ball into harm's way. And don't you dare ruin this for the defense or if it's Drew Aller's nature to just be so careful that he all of those tools are not as effective. Let's go to another Matt. This one in Appalachian, New York, who says, I'm not saying bench Aller for the rest of the game or season. However, he refuses to fake the handoff and keep the ball on run plays. On run plays without that threat, teams adjust. Why not let Bo try a series or two or just a couple of plays? Especially when Aller is shook like he did was Saturday. Franklin said post game it wouldn't be fair to Aller. Why is it not fair to the team or the defense? Franklin never gave Levis a chance when Clifford struggled. I think it's another bad Franklin tendency. So he did, I, I just, for clarity, and I don't want to be obnoxious, he did allow Will Levis to start a couple games in 2020. It, right. He never got to the, he never got to the second half of those games. <laughs> but technically, Will Levis did start against, I think, Iowa in prime time. I, I think I've reiterated Matt from New York's uh, feeling too is, again, defenses are going to say, hey, if you're going to run a read option and hand it off every single time, you kind of lose yeah. the point of it. 
even yep. if it's kind of just show Drew Aller that you're willing to keep the yep. ball, I think no, that would a, help the running backs also. It's an it's an absolutely fair and correct point. Um, if you're this is this is I guess this is this is the conversation about these two questions. Are you going to run a pro style offense, and that means attack the full field? Or are you going to run a college offense with the read option in there? They have run read option roughly the same amount of times as they did last year. They have kept it about the same number of times, but that was a problem last year as well, right? Uh, where the, the quarterback didn't keep the ball enough. Mike Yersich has used pro-style quarterbacks effectively with his system before. So we've seen it. And again, it is getting closer to a decade away from, you know, uh, Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. So defenses evolve. It's a different conference. I don't want to just copy paste and say, like, why aren't you doing these things? Like, there are reasons that those don't work. But at the same time, like this offense is caught in purgatory right now where it has these are very fair questions about Bo Perbula opening up the running game, having some sort of dynamic threat to put the defense in conflict. There's not a lot putting the defense in conflict out of the outside of the route concepts, which are not being effective right now. And, and that is something where Penn State has to decide, because I agree, something has to change. Receivers get open, and what you're running, you just run it better. Break tackles, make plays with the ball in your hands. They're not doing those things. Or you have to change something somewhere else in the offense. Because, yeah, after six points in 59 minutes and 50 seconds, like that is not good enough to win at the level you want. And I think that that kind of is out the window at this point with this offense, like what they have done so far this year, all those conversations, 2023, like I, to me, those are over. They've shown to me that they're not going to be that offense that can complement the defense that can get them to a big 10 championship. I could be wrong. And I was wrong about this game against Ohio state. They come out and prove it in the second half of this season, you know, this mini season to the end, then okay. You know, but right now the evidence points to it's not happening. And I've been banking on the positive and evolution. And at this point, I'm no longer doing that. Well, whatever limitation they had until now, one could say, well, they're saving those things up. They weren't necessary. They're right. blowing those teams out. Then when you get the real test and don't see it, and I've been advocating Drew Aller to keep the ball on those read options just to show that he's willing to do it. And maybe this is me cherry picking, but we saw you said it was the same thing happening last year. And then when uh, Sean Clifford chooses to do that against Michigan, remember the long run he had. Right. Uh, the other one, which may be even more on point, if you remember Minnesota against Penn State last year in the whiteout, they had the freshman quarterback, not athletic. They had a tremendous running back in Abraham. At the end of the first half, he chose to keep the ball a couple times. Guess what happened? Yeah. And again, not athletic, but Penn State was so focused on the running back, rightfully so. So I, I think that's uh, a case I'm going to keep hammering and hammering, T. Frank. Let's go to Andrew in San Marcos, California. What is the identity of the offense? And at what point does a coaching staff have to accept what they can do offensively compared to what they want to be able to do offensively? So, Andrew, I think you ask a great question, and I thought I knew the offensive identity going into this game against Ohio State, and then they didn't do any of the things they had done. You know, the mush football against Iowa, where they just ran it for three yards and ran it for three yards and were committed to that. They didn't convert early. Um, they threw in short yardage situations, and James Franklin said that they liked, they thought that Ohio State's short yardage situation, they were a good short yardage defense. 
That's what he said post-game. So I guess they just decided to go against their personality instead of committing to what they were and seeing if they could test themselves against better, the best they have seen. So I don't know what their personality is. James Franklin says they want to be balanced, which is to throw or run whenever you need to do that and execute no matter what. They had been the defense, the offense that could execute. They were not that against Ohio State. So now they have no Ohio State took their identity away in that game. Like more than just losing, I don't know right now what the identity, what you lean on if you're Penn State, because you can go back to being the methodical team against Indiana and avoiding taking explosive plays, avoiding evolving the offense. And then uh, you're right back where you were against Michigan. You're not going to be a short yardage team against Michigan. So I don't know. I don't know what the identity of this offense is. And it's a fair question. And we're kind of following along that path. I'm going to do put two questions together here. A little bit sure. different, but same point. Randy from Binghamton and Brian from Forsyth County, Georgia. Let's start with Randy versus Ohio State. We had at least two third down and one yard situation. Why wasn't a tush push called by the coaches? And Brian from Forsyth County said, why did Yersich go away from the run? Also, why didn't we use the T formation and short yardage? I'm no offensive genius, but use what's working and has worked. Yeah, they didn't. And that's been my biggest question since the game. And that's what, again, I'm hoping that we get some of those answers from James Franklin. If they're injury related, we won't get those answers. But like, did they have a, an available third tight end that they felt confident in to run the T formation? Did they feel like they had a matchup disadvantage up front? I told you, I think Ty Hamilton is an NFL defensive tackle. Um, I thought their defensive tackles were good, but they also moved some of those guys off the ball pretty effectively during the game. And there was just several specific matchups that didn't really go in Penn State's favor. And they then avoided uh, some specific things. And they also tried to run the football in a lot of ways where you're asking Hunter Norzad to get a very specific block, which he kind of covered in the film room that he just didn't get repeatedly. And at a certain point, you're asking him to do things that he can't do and you're putting him in a situation to fail. So I, I don't have a good answer for you of why those things didn't happen. That's why we started the show with, hey, here's some things I don't know that I hope we do find the answer out because that changed how this game went. And that changed my anticipation of what happened in the game. I thought Penn State matched up a little bit better up front than apparently they did. And they did not do any of the things I was expecting coming into this game. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter three. Stick around. Quarter four, we'll start with T. Frank naming a winner. Stay tuned. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. 
lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We are following up on that Penn State-Ohio State game. Frustrating as it was, but... Before we get back into it, T. Frank, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who's it going to be? Yeah, we're going to go with Andrew in San Marcos. Uh, <laughs> Matt and Harper's Ferry, I just I feel bad that I, I didn't talk you off the ledge. Um, so it's a it's the identity of the, the more specific question of what is the identity of this offense is is a great question. I don't have an answer for you again. Like, I'm not going to give you the perfect answer, unfortunately, because I, I don't think I think anybody knows at this point. Um, where they go from here is going to determine a lot of the rest of the season in terms of how you feel about the coaching staff, how they rebound from this loss, not only from an emotional perspective, but from an X's and O's perspective. Like they, as you pointed out, like I have told you multiple instances where Ohio State did something that gave the advantage to the defense from a schematic anticipation standpoint. Penn State tried to run a lot of their base offense and just out execute, and they didn't provide an evolution. And they're going to have to evolve, whether it's, you know, uh, a new player somewhere on the field. I don't know who that's going to be uh, or or some different approach to the game. I, I just more than anything, this offense has to loosen up. It just seems like everybody is trying to do the perfect thing instead of playing football. The running backs are trying to hit the right hole, go to the point of attack correctly. The quarterback is trying to throw perfect passes and not throw the ball into harm's way instead of. Just being Drew Aller, who we've seen is a dynamic weapon and was supposed to be a game-changing element for this offense, and they're treating him like every other first-time starter. And I, those are the things, again, the identity of the offense and how this is developing is what I think is the most concerning to me. Because I said before the season, if you have a five-star quarterback going over the history of five-star quarterbacks that have played in their second year, so they got a full year in their first system, most of them throw for 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, and we are well below that pace for Drew Aller. So he's either not the guy or the, the offense is not tailored to a passer. And I just, you know, I don't, I'm not a coordinator. I'm not a person who develops game plans. I can only tell you what I see, and I don't want to go above my station, right, and say, but, but whatever is happening right now is not working. And the, the evidence is mounting that it is not working. Okay, T. Frank, some of these, what frustrates me the most, I think, is when we start hearing the, and James Franklin will say, oh, they did something we didn't expect. You know, that to me says, they outcoached me there, okay? They, instead of it, us doing what the opposition didn't expect. I was disappointed, T. Frank, that they didn't counteract what Ohio State was doing. We didn't see some things, you know, People have brought up where was the T formation? Where was the, you know, uh, third and one, fourth and one tush push? But I think it goes even beyond that. 
first game with uh, Mike Yurcich as offensive coordinator, and I think I have this right, was against Wisconsin on the road. They were shut out yes. in the first half. They couldn't get the mm-hmm. running game going. They yep. countered that. I still remember Joe Klatt talking about, oh, they're doing those quick wide receiver screens as a that was essentially became the running game. Wisconsin yep. wouldn't let them go up the middle. Here's what we countered with. I didn't see Penn State counter what Ohio State was doing. Am I right there or no? So the, again, it comes down to a lot of stuff that happens pre-snap that we're not privy to. I don't I don't think Sean Clifford was ever allowed to change the play, right? So I don't think that that he was able to go from, hey, check to the screen um, or if the RPO was built in and they just ran that, right? So I, I th- there's a lot of there's a lot of, um, I think, protection from the truth here <laughs> in in just the process of football. But it seemed like Penn State was running certain plays without, an escape hatch. So they're running into bad looks. They're um, they're throwing into bad looks because they don't have the ability, whether it's the trust in the quarterback because he's a first-time starter and we're treating him like a first-time starter, or it's a process standpoint. Ohio State attacked the process, by the way, as much as they attacked the players. So they knew Penn State would check their protection 10, 15 seconds before, and then they would call, then they would snap the football, right? So Ohio State added blitzers in late, like right before the snap, and they timed it really well, and they showed something after Penn State had had set the protection. That's not anything that Drew Aller is doing. That is attacking literally the process of Penn State's offensive play calling. So I, I, I here's another thing I don't know, and I keep telling you things I don't know. Mike Yersich in the booth making these adjustments through Danny O'Brien, there's no headset, right? So you can't talk directly to the quarterback to make these changes at the line of scrimmage. Is that a is that a part of the telephone play calling, changing the play? I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm throwing out uh, things that, anything at this point, because the offense, when they're put in these situations, because you're right, they, they did not adapt and adjust to what they were seeing. They kind of, here's the play, run the play, execute the play, and uh, get 1% better every play, like every drive, the whole James Franklin mantra of just do better after practicing and perfecting it. And I I guess I'm talking in circles. I'm not giving you a good answer here because I straight up just don't know. And T Frank, at the risk of me sounding like a broken record, is as you answer my questions, I expected there to be an explanation. I said, oh, okay, here's why they did that. And what I keep coming away from after you speak to a specific situation is Ohio State's coaching staff did this and Penn State didn't do something to counter that. That's been my interpretation of what you're telling me. And it's it's not a good look for this Penn State coaching staff. And again, I'm not one that wants to throw them under the bus, but that seems to be the case. Let's yeah. let's hit a couple other things. Very early in the show, you talked about you know the third down calls, and they were getting uh, away from just running the ball on third, third and short. Yeah, the one time they did run the ball, they lost three yards. There was a third and two. They lost three yep. yards, and Joel Klatt says there was you know uh, zero safeties on that play. 
which again, would have thought you mentioned earlier, the third and one, that probably throwing the ball was the right thing to do. So was this them now saying, well, gee, we tried to do the right thing. That didn't work based on the yeah. defense. So now it's not going to get the answer is not going to get any better here. And this is what, you know, kind of like saving some of these things for if you want to go check out my film room. But I'll tell you this here in that in that third. You're talking about Nick Singleton being tackled in yes. the backfield on on. Yeah. OK, so in a zero safety situation, they're dropping the they're dropping their free safety onto the weak side of the form. Uh, the strong side of the formation Penn state in the game coming into this, they expected uh, Ohio state to move their safety in man coverage with Theo Johnson. So he's supposed to proctor in both of those situations based on what Penn state had seen in the game and pregame is that he's supposed to follow Theo Johnson across the formation. And that gap is supposed to be open. So from a, what we've seen on film, that's absolutely what Penn state was doing. That's the correct thing. But the the from my interpretation of what Ohio State did is when they went cover zero, they had Proctor blitz because they know their tendencies and they know they've already got a safety on that side of the field. So they don't need man coverage. They can they can basically pass that off and then the safety blitzes into the run. So Ohio State changes their tendency specifically on fourth down in those cover zero moments. And Penn State is anticipating one thing, they get another, and it's the same thing for the pass as it is for the run, where Proctor is blitzing through the B-gap. They're expecting the B-gap to be open, and they don't get that. So from a process standpoint, film evaluation, Penn State's doing their homework. It's just Ohio State had a better plan to change that up in those high-leverage situations. They did third down in a similar way of adding those blitzes late. So that's what happened in those fourth, in those third and short runs. So I, I, I guess like, what is Penn State supposed to do? I, I, that's where, again, I'm not a play caller. I'm not a person who develops game plans. I, I'm telling you what happened. Here's the autopsy. And if it points to Penn State got outcoached, I think that's a fair assessment in this situation because from a schematic perspective, the player was in position to make a play and Penn State's player was in position to fail. Okay. So let's go forward, T. Frank. We've spent... You know, counting uh, Ash T. Frank essentially for three full quarters and three quarters of the final segment, <laughs> analyzing what went wrong. You know, the as yeah. you said, the autopsy. Let's. Uh, what do they do now going forward? I don't know. Um, nothing is working well offensively, really. So you can only do so much by taking what the defense gives you because the defense is designed to take away the most valuable things that you can do, which is explosive passing plays. And I, I keep coming back to stuff over the middle because if you're in the middle of the field, you can catch and run. Some of the best offenses that I've seen, they manipulate the defense in order to move defenders out of the middle of the field to target those areas for catch and run. It doesn't have to be 15, 20 yards down the field. We don't need moonshots all the time, but you do need to threaten the full field. If you're going to be a straight drop back passing game that does not have extensive RPO and read option augmentation, which I think they can do, as you pointed out, run the ball with the quarterback a little bit more, loosen up the defense by presenting some challenges I just I don't want to be too simplistic because, again, like an area where I'm not strong is pass concepts, route concepts and how you're attacking those areas. I just know, like, this is the evidence. How do you go about doing it? That's task to Mike Yersich and, and, and James Franklin uh, and the offensive staff. But if you're going to be a passing team 
with a quarterback that operates out of the shotgun or out of the shotgun straight drop back in the pocket, you need to be more dynamic and threatening. Um, Amari Evans, like at least he'll shove off a player and create separation, whether it's offensive pass interference <laughs> or not. Like he at least got open in the blue white game. I'm giving you the evidence of two plays, by the way. So who knows? Um, but you're right. Something has to change this offense, the way they're attacking. If you're, here's another thing. And I'm, I'm just trying to throw stuff at the wall. If you're running 12 personnel, you have a limiting factor of the speed of your tight ends. So the, the, the fastest tight end is a dynamic threat, but he's not as fast as the as an average wide receiver. And using those guys outside the numbers is only so effective. Using them over the middle, targeting linebackers, targeting safeties in the middle of the field, throwing the ball into some tight windows and daring the defense to be great. These are all things that uh, maybe could help. Or it could get worse and they start turning the ball over ad nauseum. I don't know. We haven't seen Drew Aller do a lot of these things to give you a firm answer. But th- yeah, there's a lot of empty shoulder shrugging and not a lot of positivity of the offense we've seen and its personality going forward unless it changes. All right, T. Frank, I was really, really hoping today you'd make me feel better. I don't you, know. Friend. I don't got it. You you failed miserably. All right. That is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.